Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Actor Clark Moore, who you might know from Love, Simon and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, is back again this week to help us discuss Never Let Me Go by Kazu Ishiguro for The Stacks Book Club. This episode is full of spoilers, so if you haven't read this incredible story yet, go read it and then come back and listen. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you in the show notes, there is a link that link will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for both Clark and The Stacks. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon in the show note, you're helping keep The Stacks free. If you love the show and want to make sure that we grow and take on new and exciting projects, check out our Patreon page. You earn perks like our virtual book club, and you get to know that you're supporting a podcast you love. It's a win-win, and it's super easy. So go check it out on patreon.com slash The Stacks. Last thing, remember to subscribe, rate, and review to this show wherever you get your podcasts. It's super easy and it really helps grow our bookish community. And as we all know, book people are the best people. All right, now it's time for our conversation with Clark Moore about Never Let Me Go by Kazu Ishiguro for the Stacks Book Club. And yes, again, reminder, spoilers. All right, you guys, we are back today with actor Clark Moore. Clark, welcome back to The Stacks. Thank you. Glad to be back. It's The Stacks book club that I am so excited about. We're talking about Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. He is a Nobel Prize winning author. He is Japanese born, raised in England. And this book is... I don't know, spectacular. I feel like that's a good word to use. It's amazing, shocking. shocking. It's emotional. Um, before I say anything else, we are going to spoil the episode or spoil the book today on this episode. So if you have not read the book, I cannot stress to you what a mistake it would be to listen to this <laughs> because you don't want to be spoiled on this book. And just the way that it's written, it all kind of unfolds slowly. So we're going to just blow up your whole shit and then you're going to be mad and then you're going to try to read the book and be annoyed. So don't do that. Pause the episode, read the book, come back in a few days when you're ready and listen. And I promise you, you'll be much happier with me. And if you don't take my advice, don't at me. (laughs) Okay. It's not our fault. Yeah, it's not our fault. So this book is about Kathy and she has two friends, Ruth and Tommy and they go to a boarding school together and basically we don't really know what's going on. Right. So start, so pausing there, that's <laughs> why I picked this book because I was like, ooh, this checks all my boxes. Boarding school, <laughs> England, friends, yeah. you know, like growing through life. And I mentioned in last week's episode about the interesting, I was like, this is going to be exactly the same as that yeah. where it's all about like life isn't life sad and interesting and beautiful and melancholy you know i thought it was going to be a very nice easy english countryside book yeah i was wrong (laughs) it's it's not that but it is that right like so i mean since we're spoiling they're clones right (laughs) that were made to donate their organ yeah there it is that's the whole book um but (laughs) Who, wait, this is like the first question. Do you know who Kathy is talking to in the book? No. I want to know so bad who she's yeah. talking to. Because like throughout the book, I was trying to figure out, is she talking to someone that she's caring for? Mm-hmm. Is she talking to like the board asking them to like... Defer? T- well, no, asking them to like... 
finally let her donate. Oh. Like saying like, I'm ready to do this. Right. It, it was very unclear to me, which I kind of liked. Mm. But I was like, did I miss it? Yeah. I don't, in general, love first person yeah. narrative for that exact reason. Um, I, I like the objectivity of the omniscient, omniscient voice. voice. Yeah. And yeah. And also because throughout it just because of their limited worldview, uh, because they're sheltered and right. because they, you know, that, that also, I don't love that you, you don't really get, I mean, everything that you get about this story is through the perspective of these people who have maybe the least understanding of, of what's it, going on. Right. right. And so that also is really frustrating. I mean, I guess that's life. Right. That's how we, we don't have any of the answers right. either. So maybe that's, maybe that's what the intention was. Right. Or what part of it is. But it is annoying that there are people in the world who have all these answers that we'll never have answers to, right. you know, just because we have this, we grew up with the clones, you know, right. everything we're told is from their perspective. From their perspective. I normally start, I didn't even start here. What did you think of the book? I, mm, I had, I have mixed feelings. So okay. I think the first, at, at first I was bored. Okay. For the first maybe like 20-ish pages when I thought it was just a book about these kids in boarding school. Mm. And I was like, really? You're going to tell me these <laughs> stories about elementary school? Right. Because I was like, what's, you know what I mean? Like, it Where is this going? Where is this going? And then once the twist happened, once that, which I think was the the um, Miss Lucy. Yeah. They're in the gazebo. It's raining outside. And they're all sort of like huddled around. And there have been those cagey conversations where you've right. seen them like lash the teachers have lashed out or been weird with them and so you know something something's weird. not right yeah um but when you know and they also sort of hint at the fact that they can't have babies mm -hmm. so they've all been so for a while i thought oh maybe they've all just been sterilized by like right. a nuclear event or um you know maybe all these kids that's why they're at this boarding school because they have like medical problems or right. something Mm -hmm. Um, but then when that sort of reveal happens and she's, and then I realized we were in an alternate reality, mm -hmm. like a sci-fi space. That's when I was like, okay, that's when I started turning the pages a lot faster, got more into it right? because the pull, you know, the hook was stronger. Right. But, um, I think they're also sort of like writing style things that I maybe wasn't as into, you know, there's a, uh, he has a. Which, I mean, a lot of authors do this, but he has a way of sort of like setting up what's going to happen. But then in order to tell you that story, I have to go back to yeah. this place. And then sort of like taking you up through. So you're kind of constantly going on this like. Like trying to figure out where you are. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I but I did enjoy it. I mean, in terms of like books that. It wasn't a book that if I didn't have, you know, I having this conversation as a deadline mm -hmm. so definitely got me through it maybe a little bit faster. But I was turning, I was very interested in seeing where it was where going. It was going. Yeah. And there were so many questions that kept coming up and I was really excited to have as many answers as possible. Right. So it was a really enjoyable read for me. Oh, good. So I have read this book before. This is my second read. I think I read it almost 10 years ago. I mm. read it in 2009, I believe, before there's a movie. Oh. And so before the movie came out, I read it. And I remember soon thereafter seeing like a preview and being like, oh my God, I just read this book. Like yeah. I'm so on the pulse. <laughs> um, and when I read, I, again, I'm not huge into fiction. And so when I, before I started this podcast and was like reading like crazy I had Goodreads and I, this is one of the few books, like maybe three books before mm -hmm. the last few years that I gave five stars on Goodreads that was fiction. It was Ooh. like this and like Gone with the Wind. Oh, and wow. I don't even know what else. Yeah. Um, so I loved this book and it's always stuck with me as something that I loved. But over the last 10 years, I basically completely forgot what the book was about. Mm. I knew that there was something to do with like they were dying mm -hmm. and I knew they were friends and I knew they were in a boarding school. <laughs> and as I picked up the book again this week, I was like, I don't remember this because yeah. I was like, I was like, they can't have babies or maybe they are like giving away their babies. Right. Or like, I couldn't remember exactly what was wrong with them or like what was the twist. Yeah. So it was kind of fun to be reading the book knowing that I was working towards something that I knew. Yes. But I didn't remember 
any of it. Yeah. Like the scene at the end with Madame and yeah. Miss Emily, I was like, I legitimately have no recollection of this. Yeah. I didn't remember the deferrals. I just remembered that like Kathy loved Tommy. Right. And I didn't remember them not being together. Like in my memory, <laughs> they were together for a long time. Right. And so it was kind of like a very different read for me because I was reading something that I knew that I had liked, mm -hmm. but I was trying to figure out what I had liked the whole time. Is the movie good? Did you ever I never saw it because okay. I loved the book so much. I was like, this can't be good. Right. right. Um, but now I look, I was just looking up who was in it and it's like Kira Knightley plays Ruth. Whoa. Um, um, Carrie Mulligan plays Kathy. Oh my And gosh. Andrew Garfield plays Tommy. Wait, what? How I did know. I miss this? It came out in 2010. It was like, I think, very Britishy. And I think it okay. was before Carrie Mulligan was like famous. Okay. And before Andrew Garfield was like famous. Right. I think Kieran Knightley was the only one who was famous. And so, and I don't think it did well. I actually don't okay. know if it's any good. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but. So it was a very different reading experience for me. I still really liked it, but I felt like the beginning was really slow. Yeah. And I think I must have felt that way the first time I read it too. But I also think I was rushing the book this time because I was right. trying to remember. I was like trying to remember the ending. Right. Which right. never felt familiar. Yeah. Even when I finished the book, I was like, I don't remember this. Yeah. So it was a very weird experience for me because I don't normally reread either. Right. It is a strange, I mean... It feels, on the one hand, both substantive and light at yeah. the same time. You know? But it's sad. It's deeply depressing. It's really sad. And I think... So one of the things I really want to talk about about this book, because I think it is t touches on something that is both ever-present mm -hmm. in humanity, but also feels very American right now, mm -hmm. is like who is a human mm -hmm. and what is a human and who deserves to have a soul and rights and whose life and art is valuable. Right. And as I was – so I had posted that we were going to do the book on the show and someone – actually, I'll tell you who – at pages and hoops on Instagram, mm. she commented and she mentioned that she had written her master's thesis on this oh, wow. and compared it to slavery narratives. Yeah. So as I was reading the book, I kept thinking, what is she talking about? Like mm. what? And it wasn't until the end that I was like, oh, I get it now. Um, but it put me kind of in this frame of mind of like, who's a human? Ooh, yeah, heavy. And that's why I love that it is told from the perspective of these of these clones because you 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 don't even you know you never. Yes, that they aren't human, you know. Right. You never question that they have a soul or they have right. feelings because you're hearing her feelings, right. which is why he probably had to do it that way. Because if he had written it from an omniscient perspective or even from the perspective of like Miss Emily or a guardian right. or something, you would maybe you would have that like doubt about right. them. Right. And so she. Because in the beginning, they feel really normal, the mm -hmm. kids. Like, you feel like there's, like, what it, what is a care? I don't know. Like, right. Yeah. On, it seemed like she was just like a... It was like a throwaway. Like a nurse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? This is so boring. Like, it yeah. didn't seem interesting at all because it seemed just so normal, which maybe is the the beauty of it. Yeah. And, like, it's just so... I, I hadn't thought about that, the slave narrative element of it, but with that retrospectively it totally makes sense you know the the fact that they even the people who at the end are you know M madame and miss miss emily when they say to her you know uh what does kathy say she, she was always afraid she was of always us afraid of us like we were spiders and she was like of course we all are right. you know just sort of this this reality that even the people who are helping them mm -hmm. don't really view them as, you know, and they keep, she keeps telling them to be grateful for the work that they did. And mm -hmm. don't you understand how much worse it could be? And, you know, I think about that a lot when I go back and watch, you know, any sort of time travel. I love sci-fi mm. series. I love, I love time travel and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the, I was recently watching that show Outlander mm -hmm. and um, there's a, in the, most recent seasons three and four, they find their way to um, sort of like revolutionary era America. And 
they find their way to the American South mm. during like the height of slavery. And you watch these, you know, white liberals of the 60s and 70s who have no problem with people of color go back to slave times and having to mm. sort of like interact with the people there. And even the people who do believe in abolition or, or who aren't in their minds racist, they also are sort of like, there isn't that urgency to really fix anything or change anything. Right. And that was what I saw in Madame and Miss Emily, where it's like, how could you ever ask these people who are now going to continue, you know, they're going to, as they say, quote, complete Mm -hmm. soon, you know, at some point there, that's, how are you going to ask them to be thankful to you for giving them some sort of light, you know? Right. It was just so messed up. Well, right. And is it any better that the life that they had was really privileged versus the other people who are, who are donors or Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I mean, it's, it just feels like it's an allegory for like a million things, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's talking about so many things. Like I think about it, like when we talk about like trans people, yeah, yeah, like that they should be grateful that like, you know, or that they should, that they should adjust their lives to be conducive to my going to the bathroom. Right. You know, and like, and like, are they even human and like, what are they? And Mm -hmm. like referring to them as it and like Mm -hmm. stuff like that, like this, like really diminishing language that is so prevalent when we talk about folks who are not, you know, who are not clearly on one spectrum of the gender binary, like the one that we're comfortable with, Yeah, you know, or like when we talk about immigration and it's like these people should be thankful that the government is putting them anywhere and Mm -hmm. not just sending them back, you know? And like, it's like, yeah, but they're in cages and they're dying. And it's like, well, we're doing the best we can. Yeah, And it's like, there's just so many things that this book like you could substitute so many different times and places or like Japanese internment or like or I'm sure you could go Holocaust with this Mm -hmm. like there's just so much to this book that he's talking about another level yeah and what is so great about it is that this book is like borderline YA Mm -hmm. you know like it's very simple he's not doing anything crazy the language isn't crazy yeah there it's accessible and it's understandable and i feel like that's really hard to do to Mm -hmm. talk like on such a high level Mm -hmm. and then still make it so you know not universal but accessible yeah totally like readable yeah i mean this is sort of like in terms of kids you know books that kids should be reading this i feel like would be a great text to read in high school yeah for exactly all those reasons tying it in, into all of these historical moments and and as you say that i'm i'm reminded of the not the ya series ender's game yeah where they're sort of like i read that i don't remember that yeah i mean spoiler alert here so if you haven't or are interested just skip ahead like maybe two 15 second marks because <laughs> i'm just gonna say real quickly um they're basically kids who are playing this video game and then they come to find out that the video game that they've been playing is actual war and they've been operating drones and they're killing people. And so just this sort of idea that like these, these kids um, are being bred or used for a specific reason that um, benefits all these other adults and all these other people. Mm -hmm. But once they find out, once, you know, once they realize what their purpose is, then it's sort of no one cares how they reckon with that reality. It's just sort of they've been indoctrinated to believe that this is in the way that these kids, you know, like they're itching to get to the next step in their journey, um, which is rapidly going towards death, right. you know. And it took me a minute. I didn't really think about it. But when they were talking about, you know, um, the person goes through their first donation and they're talking about how many people don't make it past their second donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't really thinking about like the logistics of what they could be. Donating. What they're donating. I wanted to know so bad, but then Tommy gets to his fourth donation and they were talking about how everyone's excited about it. And everyone's really, you know, they congratulate you and how it's this huge honor and everything. And it took me a minute to realize like, Oh, if you, if you've donated at least one organ four times, by the time you get to the fourth one, there's only so many that you could have, you know, at this point we're talking about vital organs. We're right, talking, we're talking about heart, heart lungs. lungs. And then also 
they have to, if you get to that point and your whole purpose is to donate, I mean, I guess that's why it's such an honor because then unlike Ruth who died after her second, second, but not on the table, she died afterwards. So then that means all of her organs probably didn't. Do you think, I was thinking that maybe if you die because they keep you in the hospital, they they just harvest. harvest you as. I mean, maybe, but also you know, at that point you could, who knows? Like if you go into septic shock or something. Yeah. Like what kind of, and, um, you could have sepsis, you could have any types of infections. Right. You could have a heart attack. You could have a stroke. Totally. And so those organs might not be able to, as opposed to a very clean. Right. Where, and that's the scary part that they were talking about how you're conscious watching them just take, disassemble you one organ at a time. But why were they conscious? Um, did he say why? I don't think he did. Um, yeah, I don't think he did. And also, I don't know that they are. But like, I think it's they more don't just die like, right away is kind of what he was saying. Right. Well, I, or I think they were, that was a rumor. Oh. I think they were saying some people say that you're conscious throughout it and you watch them, mm. you know, and I I, I have no idea. But know? maybe you are conscious because like they were just like, we don't care. These are clones. Right. Like, what do we care? Right. And one of the things that they talk about with Miss Emily and Madame at the end, I, I liked how we didn't get any of the answers till the end, mm. but I also kind of was like, this is an info dump, which I don't love yes. always. Yes. Like I liked how in the beginning we were getting a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, if your narrator is someone who doesn't have the answers, you have to get the answers from somewhere. Yeah. So at some point you're going to get a dump of information. Yes. Um, but one of the things that Miss Emily talks about that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, the evolution of thinking about mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Because again, a lot of the things that we, that are, you know, hot button issues or things that we have trouble with now, there's been an evolution of thinking about them, like something like abortion, let's say, Mm -hmm. like it was, you know, illegal and it was something that like nobody was talking about and women were being sent away. And then it was like, no, this is something that we should be talking about. And like, this is something there should be like abortion rights and like reproductive justice and all this stuff. And it kind of became this like women's rallying cry like and then we had roe v wade and it was like this is illegal and we can do this and now there's been this swing back right which is kind of what happened with these with the students slash donors like it was like at first it was like we're not talking about this we're hiding these kids and then they're like we're gonna make a school for them and we're gonna show you that they're real people Mm -hmm. and then there's the whole genetically modifying humans that leads to everyone's out. We're not doing this anymore. Hide right. these people, take their organs. This is done. And it just felt like it, that just felt so on the nose to me mm-hmm. for so much like quote unquote progress when it comes to these, like what do they call them? Social issues. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it just felt like that scene. I thought like that section, while I didn't necessarily love that it was an info dump. Mm-hmm. I really liked that section. Yeah, like I was, I was compelled by it while I was reading it, but I was also thinking to myself, feels like a little denouement. Yes, if you will. in terms of like, in terms of like the technical aspects of yeah. the writing and everything, it was. It's like the point in the movie where the villain, you know, explains. Yes, they step out of their lair. <laughs> and it's like, oh, and I bet you're wondering yeah. this, right. and I bet you wanted to answer that. Like, right, it was a little. It was a little that for me. Yeah, um, totally. And I could also imagine how that would potentially not be great in a movie. In a movie. You know? But the piece, one, a couple of the pieces that I latched onto in that specific section were, uh, you know, they were talking about, they were talking about how, it was sort of, they said this twice in two separate ways, but one of the things they said was about Miss Lucy. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, it's so funny that you guys think of Miss Lucy as like, an integral part of the Hailsham experience. Whereas for us, she's just a blip on the radar right, because she was a teacher that like the kids loved and she was like t- telling them things. Yes. And she was like, but I can see how there was a line. She says something like, I can see how if you were only at Hailsham for those years, she would seem like a key figure to right. you. Whereas for us, since that was just a section of right. the number of right. decades that we ran this school, yeah, we pretty much forgot about her. She's a footnote right. in, in our movement, you know. Right. Especially since she didn't agree with what we were saying. Hmm. Um, and she also says that in the same way of just their entire Hailsham experience in general, like you were just saying, how that entire moment of them getting treated as humans and them being educated and everything was the exception. 
that wasn't the forward, the just like natural progression of the way things were going to go, you know? Right. And I think about that a lot, as you were saying with, um, with now, you know, like growing up, a lot of the things that I heard from my friends, you know, as soon as Obama was elected, Mm -hmm. um, all of my white liberal friends were telling me how we were post race and how, you know, racism was a thing of the past. Just get over it. We've moved on. Obviously Mm -hmm. we have a black president, you know? Right. And check, you know, and like now that we have, um, now that we've overturned the defense of marriage act and marriage equality is, uh, you know, legal throughout the entire United States, we no longer need to talk about homophobia. We no longer need right. to talk about these. We are, these are the natural progressions yeah. uh, moving forward. And just as we've seen, and just as is said in this book, those aren't the natural progressions. Those were the exceptions to what has been the norm so far. And, you know, we're, we're constantly swinging back and forth between these right. two extremes. Right. And that I think is the, the analogy that works better for our, progression rather than this linear step-by-step movement towards an ultimate goal. Right. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's an author that I love that listeners will be not shocked to hear me talk about. (laughs) His name's Ibram X. Kendi. He wrote a book called Stamped from the Beginning, Mm. and his new book is called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in Stamped from the Beginning, one of it's all about the history of race. It's like it's a major. It's like a 500 page. It's like a tome. And he talks about how when it comes to racist ideas in America and anti-racist ideas in America, it is very much one step, one step, one step, Mm -hmm. one step. And that, and that slavery led to Jim Crow because slavery was racist, a racist Mm. idea and policy. And then freeing up the slaves was an anti-racist idea and policy. Mm. So then the response to that is another racist idea and policy, which is Jim Crow. And then you have the civil rights movement, which is the anti-racist. And then you have the crack epidemic and like back and forth, back and forth. And that people who are fighting on the side of anti-racism are fighting against an equal and 
powerful opponent on the side of racism. Yeah. And so these things aren't they're not linear and they don't move forward, but they kind of work around each other. Yeah. And, you know, his book is about race and mostly anti-black racism, but it fits for all of these sorts of movements or the ways in which we treat people. And, you know, while you have some things that feel bigger and more massive, like the yeah. end of slavery versus, you know, something that might feel smaller, like, I don't know, the election of not Obama, but like the election of the first black senator, right? right. It doesn't feel the same, right? but that they're all kind of steps in mm -hmm. this same battle and like that there are voices who are part of like, we would put Miss Emily and Miss Lucy on the same side of the fight, right. but like that there are these internal battles for these these kinds of thinking or like this ideology. And that also complicates things because who's right and who do we trust? And also who has the power and the leverage? Yeah. Miss Lucy is just a teacher and the other people are running the institution, yeah. right? And so it's just when we look at like power dynamics in social movements, I think it's really, it can be dangerous like yeah. if you have the wrong people who are allowed to have the power, mm -hmm. right? Because those women those people at Hailsham, I kept calling it Hailsham, Hailsham, <laughs> they were allowed to operate mm. by the people who didn't believe that these kids had souls. Yeah. So why were they allowed to operate? Like why were they applauded by the other side right. versus someone like Miss Lucy? Right. You know? Right. Well, I think also because, you know, this is something that I'm experiencing now. A lot of people... Um, in, now that I'm a somewhat public figure and now mm -hmm. that I'm a, I have a platform and I've been using it to um, speak about inequality or injustice or whatever, um, people say that that's really brave. I've been hmm. referred to as being this LGBT activist. Um, and it's so every time someone says that, it just feels so strange to me because I don't really feel like I'm doing any work. I just feel like I'm saying truths, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't really feel like it's brave to tell the truth. You know, to me, it's just like, it's as objectively fact. Right. Um, but now in this moment, it's such an, and this is also part of the reason why I don't feel like it's all that brave. It's very easy to have these conversations. Mm. You know, we're all talking about this stuff constantly. It's right on, because we're so, con we're confronted on the day-to-day -day basis with the fact that we are nowhere near where we thought we were, you know? Um, so it's really easy to have these conversations now. Whereas, you know, back in the Obama era, it was very difficult to have these conversations because people were so cagey and they were so like, but well, we have progressed. Look at all of yeah, the Yeah, they're that proud of themselves done. too. Yes. Like we did it. Totally. I voted and for Obama and I'd do it for a third term. Exactly. Like, you know, and, and that's why another, you know, another good book that I've sort of come in and out of um, another Ta-Nehisi Coates book. We had eight years. Oh, we were eight years in power. Yes. Oh my God, that book is fantastic. Yeah. And just because it's like, you know, speaking to this exact same thing of um, there are opportunities and moments where it's trendy and it's uh, it's part of the larger culture. It's part of the, um, it's part of the pop culture lexicon to mm -hmm. have conversations about race and identity and socioeconomic status and whatever. And then there are times when it's very much not the case, you right. know, it's gauche, it's inappropriate, it's not well received. Um, and so I think speaking to that element, there was a period of time in this book where these liberals and their crazy fanatic ideas mm -hmm. that clones are also people too. There was a period of time where, where people tolerated that. And then as soon as they were confronted with the fact that they, had to, you know, ask themselves these tough questions, you know, it, it's like with meat. I thought, I thought about this a lot. Um, I'm not a vegan, but, um, I've been thinking about not even just animal rights. My, my approach to the way that we harvest animals has been, uh, mostly with regards to the environmental impact that mm -hmm. it has. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just how much water it takes to, right. to process beef and, um, and then also the methane that cows that we are, right. you know, that they produce. But a lot of conversation just about the fact that we are creating these life, life forms right. just for the purpose of then eating them down the line. You know, it's not right. the same thing as hunting 
wild animals right. that are naturally growing around us. Right. It's we're no longer part of the ecosystem. No, we're we're completely like yeah, I mean we these clones, that's exactly what we're doing right. to pigs and to chickens and to, you know. Right. And we're like, well, they have a good life. They're free range. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until right. we slaughtered them. Right. Like it's free range chicken versus like manufactured chicken. Right. And full disclosure, I eat meat all the time. I eat it every yeah. day. But these are just the things that I, you know, that I'm thinking about where um it, it's uncomfortable. I will I will entertain these conversations hmm. um, to a point, but I'm not going to stop eating meat. You know, right. when I'm really confronted with the the moral or ethical dilemma here of what we're doing with these animals, like, yes, I will support PETA and yes, I will support, right. the, but it's really going to be difficult for me to get on board with you taking away <laughs> my right. burger, you right. know, that I really enjoy. I think about that a lot. I eat meat a lot as well. But I do think about like in 20 years, is that going to be the thing where I have to tell Mm -hmm. my kids like, yeah, I was eating meat. Mm -hmm. I was an asshole. Like I didn't know I was on the wrong side of this. Or worse, I knew. Right. Right. I I still did it. And I did it because it was, I liked a hamburger or whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause like, you know, there's definitely, like, I think about that a lot and not just with me, but like, what are the things now that I'm okay with Mm -hmm. that in 20 or 30 or 40 years, I'm going to be so embarrassed. Just mortified. You know, like that I, that I was, you know, if I, like I was a slave owner, right? Like those things, like they feel so obvious now, but at the time, totally, it was okay. And it was like, well, I get it that there are people, but like, I don't want to give up my my income. Yes. This is how my house operates. So I feed my family, you know, mm-hmm. it's how I maintain any sort of social standing right. or power. This is how I get to vote. Yes. You know, yes. There's, so, there's so much like wrapped up in it. Yeah. Um, so I do think about that too. And I didn't, I hadn't actually thought about this book about me, but it's very apt metaphor yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, the, okay. So one of the things that, so Ruth, this character, Ruth, yeah. she's like the best friend. She's kind of like the social butterfly you know in my mind she's the pretty one Mm -hmm. she's the skinny one she's got the great hair her skin's perfect like ruth is like the queen bee yeah you know not beyonce but the other like the (laughs) other kind bee um but she is also super volatile Mm -hmm. she's like wild yeah (laughs) i i see myself a lot in ruth you (laughs) can go she she can snap um more that part of her than the other stuff but there's a scene when they're in Nor- Norfolk mm-hmm. and they she they go to find so oh so everyone who is a clone they have what do they call it possible a possible and the possible cuz all of them are ba- they're cloned from a real person obviously right. cuz they're clones and so they think that they find Ruth's possible so they go to find her and she's like working in an office building and they follow her and it's not they don't think it's her possible by the end of it and then Ruth like eventually snaps and she's like you guys are idiots. Like this was never a possibility because you really think they're cloning people like her. You think they're cloning people who have real jobs or cloning hookers, drug addicts, like all of this. And when she said that, it also – actually not when she said that. When I got to the end of the book and I thought back on that scene, Mm. it put this whole other level of like who are these kids? Yeah. Because – I, this book t- is set in England, mm-hmm. which I don't know a ton about. But if I, in my imagination, of course, it's set in America because that's where I am and I'm right. an American and I'm terrible. <laughs> um, but when I, like, in my mind, I'd imagine them, maybe also because the cover has a little white girl on the mm-hmm. cover, but I'd imagine them being like these really, like, little cute white kids. But if it was now, these would all be black and brown kids, mm-hmm. right? Like if they're the expendable humans of the culture, if they're totally. cloned from drug addicts and – I mean not that there are not plenty of white drug addicts, but like right. if that's who – if the government is picking people to clone and who they can get rid of, why would they clone Steve Jobs's kids or whoever? Right. I don't even know if he has kids. Why <laughs> why wouldn't they go to inner cities and why wouldn't they go to the boondocks right. and find people who are poor and useless and say, we'll give you $100 if you let us clone you, yes. right? Because that's probably how it got done. 100%, I'm sure. And so it kind of changes the way once I got to the end, it changed the way that I thought about these kids because mm-hmm. they're these really privileged in a sense. They've been well-educated. They went to a boarding school. They went to Hailsham that everybody's mm-hmm. like, ooh, you went to Hailsham. Oh, my gosh. 
and they're walking around with all this information. They're reading the Odyssey. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're like talking about reading and culture and art and music and poems. But I'm sure if they're walking down the street, people think they're like thugs mm-hmm. and like bad kids. And what are these, what are these kids doing here? Yeah. So it just like, I don't know. I hadn't imagined them in that way. Cause in the beginning you're like, they go to a boarding school. Of course they're rich white kids. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the idea that, like, we... I, I saw something on... Oh, AOC posted this mm. um, about... She was she was talking about how some a technique that... Or, like, a thing that lobbyists have, all, have done for a while now in um, D.C. is they get these... They get homeless people to... Um, they pay them some amount of money. I don't know if it's $20. I don't know if it's... 50, I don't know right. if it's five, I don't know how much money, <laughs> but they pay them, um, to stand in line at the, at these like representatives offices uh, so that they like get in line right when the doors open. And, um, basically that way no one else can get and They like are hold, you know, hmm. holding their spot in line with these right. homeless people and they make it so that no one else can get in before them. And then they come in right as the doors are about to open, they get to cut the line, you know? And, um, it was just this really interesting, it was just really, and she was even saying, I think in the post that, uh, you know, on the one hand, these people are getting money for it, of course, but they're also, you know, they're being used by all kinds of lobbyists lobbying Mm -hmm. for any number of things that these people Hmm. may not even politically be aligned with, but they want Or that don't help these people in any way. Yes. That maybe even hurt these people and, um, they, but they need money. They need, you know. They're, they're homeless or they're disenfranchised. And yeah, that sort of really stuck with my mind as well of just like we constantly view people who are at the bottom of our social, you know, our social hierarchy as expendable, mm-hmm. as less than human, you know, and sort of what we were saying earlier with, with immigration and all these, right. these people who are fleeing from, you know, right. you can just totally see a world in which the those people are given a hundred bucks. Yeah. To be cloned right. or whatever. Right. Um, and like that we think of them as not only being like, like expendable, but also like not capable of, cause if you think like, okay, so they're cloning the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the alcoholics and the poor people and the immigrants, then, and then we hear that they don't think that these people, the clones have souls. Right. You're kind of also saying that you don't necessarily think that the real people have souls right. either. Because right. wouldn't you think that a clone of a rich Congress person or a person in the parliament in this case would have a soul? Cause it's the clone of me. Yeah. You know, so it's like you're kind of saying that not only do we think these people aren't human, like they're, they're clonable, they're expendable, but we're also saying that we think that their clones are not capable of learning. Like we think that they're not capable of understanding text or writing poetry. And like the, the part of the experiment is that we're proved that the good guys are proving to you that no prostitutes clones can Mm -hmm. read, (laughs) you know, Oates and and Fitzgerald or whatever, like surprise if you nurture a human maybe they could do something yeah <laughs> you know oh, like maybe they could so be something sad. it really that's what, i feel like that to me about what i love about this book is that the story itself is sad mm-hmm. like the characters like ruth and tommy and whatever but that what he's talking about on a bigger level is also so deeply fucked up and yeah. so sad like yeah. that both that both things work right as opposed to like, I feel like sometimes when you read a book, it's like, oh, I'm talking about this bigger thing and it's all in service of what I'm talking about, but the yeah. story itself is dumb and it's more like a thought experiment. I felt like he does a really good job of getting the story right and getting the thought experiment right. Yeah, totally. And I also, you know, even alongside like other things that kept popping up in my mind, um, outside of like the allegories and everything, I just really related to, I just, I was in, um, just like I said, I was in New York for the past couple of days and seeing a lot of friends from college mm-hmm. and, you know, high school, college, basically other periods of my life. And I now feel like distinctly separate from those times. Mm. 
And, you know, I was having a lot, all these conversations about where I am and what I'm doing and what my life is like now and getting windows into what my friends are like, my friends' lives are like. And mm-hmm. some of them love their jobs. Some of them hate their jobs. Some of them are in transitions between jobs or going to a different grad school or whatever. And, um, you know, the, the interaction that Kathy has with Laura in mm. the car outside the center mm-hmm. where she comes up and she sees Laura. She talks about how she's, these carers get so weighed down by their experience mm-hmm. that they're just physically slumped over. And she kept looking for that spark that she remembered from childhood. And she comes really close. And Laura like laughs at some joke mm-hmm. that she says. And she was like, oh, I almost thought she was about to give me this wise crack back. And then just as quickly as it came, the light disappeared. Right. And it was just so like outside of the sci-fi element of this story, that part was just heartbreaking because that is, and you know, I see that in my friends too, where right. um, not the like slumped over depressed part, but just the fact that like, as you get older, life gets harder, life gets yeah. heavier. And so there are, there are things where, you know, that youthful energy It'll peek through and you'll see like, mm. oh, that I remember that from childhood. You would make those kinds of jokes or you would laugh right. at that kind of stuff. Right. And now it's sort of like, oh, I just happened to catch you right after work. So you're a little bit tired. Mm-hmm. It's 10 p.m. Can we go? Yeah. You know, like that yeah. kind of thing. Of This has been really great, but I really want to go to bed now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I want to like my bed. Adulthood. It's so human. The melancholy yeah. of it. Yeah. God, he does such a good job of making the clones. Mm-hmm feel identical to humans. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he's just writing about humans. Like, I'm sure if you totally. asked him, how did you write the clones? He'd be like, I wrote them like humans. Yeah. But like, it uh, because you're thinking of them as clones, we just assume that they're different, you know? Yeah. One of the things I do want to talk about, kind of a shift, but you kind of took us there a mm. little bit, is about the actual writing of a sci-fi book. Yeah. Like a piece of literary fiction mm-hmm. or like a piece of like... Yeah, I guess that's what you call it, literary fiction. I don't know. I never know the titles, but (laughs) this is like sci-fi, speculative fiction, dystopian something, but it's written like... Like normal. Like a just like a non-genre fiction. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I liked. I wonder... I'm sure there are other authors who have done this or do this with sci-fi or maybe like romance or other like mystery thriller. Mm -hmm. And I just... I'm. Do you read sci-fi? Um, yeah, occasionally. Does it? Did this feel like sci-fi to you? Did it work for you, or were, did you feel like you were missing the more sci-fi feel? Um, I I think it worked. I really liked it. I will say, a lot of times with sci-fi, uh, I do like to know going into it. Maybe like I, I'm not sure because I didn't know. I'm not sure. If it would have, if I would have liked it more or less, had I known going into okay. it that they were that it was a sci-fi thing, mm-hmm. um, it did take me a little bit by surprise. I will say, if I had known, I would have had a very different relationship. You know, by grounding it in this reality, it mm-hmm. creates this opportunity for me to see all these allegories and everything. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know, one of the things I just wrote down that popped into my mind was I couldn't really get an idea of time period he does mention he says 70s at one yeah. point and he says but i couldn't tell if that was like the 1970s and this yeah. is meant to be parallel to this world or if is. this was like because there were also these other they didn't really ground it in yeah you know he didn't talk a lot about um current events or right. they talked about the war mm-hmm. but yes they said the war right it could have been... And I thought they said the 50s. So I just assumed right. it was like taking place in the 90s. Right. I don't know why. Right. But you're right. It wasn't exactly clear. I mean, we know that they had cassette tapes. Right. But then right, again, right, you're right. like, and if this Walkman. is another world, yeah. maybe they had cassette tapes in their 1830s. Like, what right. do we know? Exactly. Or like, you know, the other the other element was that they, they were so separated from the outside world anyway mm-hmm. that, you know this could be a hundred years in the future and they just happen to find this cassette tape somehow. You right. Know? I don't know. Maybe it was meant to be parallel to this world and there are plenty of examples that I missed, but right. I just kept coming back to like, what is this time period? And, um, and what, like, so are we expected to believe that this is just an alternate 
alternative history mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. thing. Um, that was the one thing that in terms of sci-fi versus non-genre, right. I would have liked a little more those question marks that just kept coming up about right. like time and place. Yeah. I would have liked some answers right. to those, but I also liked the fact that they weren't, you know, they weren't talking about like hover cars and, right. you know, <laughs> right. like, like it wasn't like, it wasn't so sci-fi that it didn't feel real. Right. Exactly. Which I don't read a ton of sci-fi, so I can't really speak to any of this, but one of the reasons I don't read sci-fi and I don't watch sci-fi and stuff is that I'm not really into things that don't feel real. Yeah. Like my, mm-hmm. I read a lot of nonfiction because I like learning about the world. And yeah. so I like my fiction to feel very much like this is real. Yeah. Um, And this had just enough of like, without being like, okay, they have 12 legs. Like I'm not here for this. Or like they're blue. I'm like, okay, I don't care. But have you ever read Kindred by Octavia Butler? No, that one's been um, suggested to me. It's speculative fiction. It's kind of in the same way. It's about a woman, a black woman who's um, in the seventies and keeps somehow like miraculously going back to slavery, like time travel. Yes, I have heard of this. Okay, and it's similar to this book in that it's it it it's much more like you know time travel, so that feels more sci-fi. Right, but it's the writing is very novel. Mm, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like there, you know, there's no light lightsabers mm-hmm. or like there's none of that. So for me, it really worked. Yeah. I think that's a personal taste thing, mm. but I feel like if the author is trying to do allegory and all this stuff, it's easier for me to decipher it if the world feels close yes, I to agree. where I am. I agree. And I think that if you are a reader of sci-fi, you probably have flexed that muscle more. Right. Like if you that that's something that you love, sci-fi, fantasy, all of that, speculative fiction, then you probably could latch on to much more nuance that I just don't get because I'm right. like, they're half horse. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> do, do they talk? Like, okay. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't have that imagination <laughs> skill set. Yeah. Which I think is like, you know, people who don't read a lot of nonfiction they always tell me things and i'm like that's just because you're not reading enough nonfiction. like right. if you read it more you'd get it you'd get it and i'm sure that's how people feel about me talking about sci-fi like this. So like, <laughs> if you read more books you probably appreciate it right but for me it really worked and i felt like that was part of the trick of the book was yeah. that we weren't expecting it and totally. it's not marketed like sci-fi and i would also venture to say it's not really sci-fi right it is, but it's not. It doesn't feel like it. It right. feels like. I think the tricky part is that if you don't like sci-fi at all, right, going into it, then I think when that reveal happens that they're clones. Because for me, when that reveal happened, I got more into it. That's what I that think happened to me hook. the first time. But I think there's totally. I could totally see a world where I get to the part. I'm like, they're clo- they're what? Okay, done. Like, gotta you know? go. Like, why do I care about clones? Like, why did you trick me? Yes, you know. Yeah. If that's something that I don't engage with, or because there are some people who, just like you said, like they're half horse, so I don't. You know. Yeah. I can totally see a world where someone's like, oh, this right. doesn't really speak to my. Right. Which I guess is why making them clones makes it a little bit more accessible because you're like, right. okay, you're a clone of a person. I get what a person is. Right. Right. Yeah. But since we don't, that's the other piece though, still, since we don't have clones. Right. In a, and because cloning is so taboo. Right. Well, unless culture. you're Barbara Streisand, then you have clones of your dog. Right. And that's she probably true. could speak to this book. That's true. <laughs> I know. Cause we've sort of, cloning has been such a fringe thing. Yeah. And, you know, for it to have, for it to be a world where it's so mainstream right. and it's the answer to all of the problems that we currently have. Right. It's just, a, I could see that being a little bit of a stretch for right. some readers. You right. Know? Well, so I, you just reminded me of two things. Um, okay. Well, one of them is that um, they say in the book, one of the reasons that they do the clones and like they, they can't go back is because like now we have a cure for cancer. Right. And like now we don't have these problems and we don't have these things. So what are we going to do? Stop cloning? Like, does you want it to be your daughter who doesn't get right. the heart transplant? Because mm-hmm. I certainly don't want it to be mine. And then the other thing is I I wish they went into more who got the organs. Mm-hmm. Like how it was decided who got the organs or like yeah. how they found out when they were up for a donation and how frequent they are. Yeah. And like I, I had questions about that. I think that I know who gets the organs. Like, right. I just kind of wanted him to say it. Right. But I did want to know, like, 
Like, what if you were a, a, a normal human? I don't know, a full human, an original human. Could you donate? Right. If you wanted to, like if you were in a car accident, like how we can donate now. Right. Or if it's only clones that are only clones that don't. And how many clones are there? Right. Yeah. I mean, all these questions, I would say that's part of the limitation to that. To having her narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And those are all questions I would have loved. I I love to, if I'm in a different world, I love to really get into the nitty gritty of yeah. the infrastructure of that world, you know, and I right. love to have all the rules and all of the societal norms, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is part of the reason why I was latching onto time period. Are we meant to believe that right. this is like the British parliament of the nineties of, right. the, you know, is this, is this Thatcher era? Right. Like what sort of what is going Where on in the larger world? Right. Or is it just a completely different universe mm. altogether? Yeah. But if it is a different universe altogether, then are there also different rules, you know, like, right. Are there the rich white people that we think of being the top of the hierarchy here? Is it flipped? Are they, right. you know, like, I, these are all like, questions. Like that, who? Yeah. Who's? Yeah. Oh, I remember what the other thing I was going to say is. So I feel like cloning became like a big thing in the 90s. Like mm-hmm. people became really into it. And this book was written originally in 2005, mm. which probably makes it feel when it comes out much more. It was published in 2005. 2005 okay. Yeah. So, so it probably felt in really, like, yeah, mostly or like late, early 2000s or something. Right. But it probably felt like I know it was on like Time's best book of the mm. year and like best, it was like they had some weird list that was like best books of, from 1923 to 2005. It's like, <laughs> what do you mean? What kind of list is that? But it probably felt crazy when this book came out yeah. that there was like this piece of like really beautiful fiction about clones yeah. humanity mm-hmm. which now like feel i mean i still really like this book but it probably now doesn't feel nearly as like whoa 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 what right. are we doing talking about cloning like lucy the sheep and all that stuff right right yes because like if you because i'm sure that you know the thinking i remember like news coverage was like they clone a sheep will they clone humans what yes. does that mean and like this book is kind of like an answer to that in that moment when it was yeah. written yeah totally yeah yeah, and I guess we, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really think about this kind of stuff right. as much now. Right. Cloning is like, we have so, we have so many other problems. I know. It's it's like, like, I don't have time for these the people that don't exist yet. I did like, though, how at the end they also got into eugenics. Yeah. You know, and With how like. The, like scandal. Mm-hmm, you know, how the, when you're cloning humans, you're really just one step away from um, eugenics and picking certain types of children and. And ultimately, the reason why the scandal was so was so crazy, they said, was because it's one thing to to be creating a race of people or a species of people who exist to serve us mm-hmm. and to better our lives and to cure our diseases and, you know, as tools of making our lives better. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different thing when you're creating a species of people who will then usurp us, you know, people right. who will take away. Who are smarter than us, who which, are stronger than us. If that isn't an allegory for immigration, I don't right. know what it is. I was going to say also that's definitely slavery too. Yes. So like they're in service to us. And then when you free them, then they take away our benefits. Mm-hmm. They take away, our, you know. Yeah. And it's like they're, um, uh, they, those traits that they have that make them, that make slaves great for work are also the traits that threaten their their lives you know threaten mm-hmm. they're incredibly strong you know they're virile they're, they're resilient resi- yes all these things that you know they're going to come they're going to take our jobs right they're going to take our gold medals right. you know they're going to take our women they're going to take our women what's the um i can't i don't know what's the woman's name right now who um the black woman who's attracted runner oh uh yes who's who is like getting trouble because she has like testosterone yes I exactly can't think of her name but i know you're talking about and it's so funny because it's like this is sort of the thing that we we see um constantly from uh the g- generally from white people but from whoever's in power the way that they maintain their standing the way that they sort of like justify their existence is well of course you're good at dancing because you're black, you right. know, of of course you're good at, 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 you're, you know, good at basketball. You're good at these, right. All of these things aren't talents that you have that are 
sort right. of, you know, extraordinary. In fact, they're very commonplace amongst your people. Right. They just, it's, you know, that's the advantage that you have. Right. And that's the same also like for like when we talk about like the model immigrant, like when we mm. talk about like Asian and Indian yes. people that like, oh, of course you're smart. You're, you're Korean. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I also worked really hard and I went to Harvard. Right. Like there are plenty <laughs> of Korean people who did not get into or go to Harvard. Yes. And like, and there are, and like, it's not, I wasn't born any smarter than you. My parents, you know, made me work harder or exactly. like whatever, but there is this diminishing of people's skills and mm-hmm. strengths because it threatens the status quo. Yes, exactly. Right? Or like, you know, the, it could be, it could be for women. It could be, you know, for queer people. Like it could be like, oh, of course, of course you're a performer. You're gay. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> well, there's lots of gay people who don't perform who are really bad on stage. Thank you very much. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's, I thought about that too, you know, with these, it, it's one thing when you're, when you're, when you're in service of us, but as soon as you're going to take away our, right. our abilities, our rights, our opportunities, that's where right. we have to draw the line. Well, like, I mean, kind of to pull that analogy a little bit longer. And this is, this is a very current topic. So this might play out by the time this episode comes Mm. out. But like when we talk about like a show like Queer Eye, where these gay men are in service to straight guys. Mm -hmm. And you remember the first title was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And now Mm -hmm. it's just Queer Eye, which was clearly a choice and means something. But like this week, Karamo I don't know if you're familiar with his mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. most latest controversy. Oh, no. No, no, so no. he's going to be on Dancing with the Stars. Okay. And so is Sean Spicer. And this week oh. he talked about how Sean Spicer was actually a really good guy. And like there's really good things about Sean Spicer. And then um, this white gay guy, don't know his name, on Instagram reposted the video of him saying this. And then Karamo was like, this is out of context and I have done – he said, we have done, and I think he was referring to another guy from the show, from Queer mm. Eye, have done more for queer or LGBTQIA plus people and people of color than you will ever do. Mm. And it was like, you're standing up in service to Sean Spicer mm. so that you can be on Dancing with the Stars. But as soon as someone just calls it out, he doesn't, yeah. he didn't actually comment. He just posted the video of exactly what he said. Like Ooh. it was, and, that's like one of those moments where it's like if you're in service to the white, straight, male, heterosexual, cis, whatever, yeah. patriarchy, we like you. Yeah. But if you call it out, that's a problem. Mm. And like who's working for quote unquote the man and who's not. And like I've had issues with Karamo for other things that he's said and done right. and he's problematic to me. But that was just like so clear. It's like you're willing to die on the hill of Sean Spicer. Yeah. And he calls the president horrible names all the time. Yeah. I mean, not horrible names. They're they're fine names to call someone who does horrible <laughs> things. But he has no problem tra- trashing the president. But it's like when it becomes about him and ABC and Dancing with the Stars, right. now Sean Spicer is this great guy. Right, right. You know, it's just Ugh. like really – and I'm sure there's going to be more on this story. We're recording this the day after this whole thing blew up. So okay. if it's changed – Sorry, that's just what it was today on yeah. September 23rd, or August 23rd. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> before we sign off, because we are almost at the end, that we always talk about title and cover. Okay. Um, what did you think of those things? We have the same cover. I know there's other covers of the book. We have okay. the vintage paperback that has a woman, like a little girl's face. She's kind of looking up to the right. And then there's white strips across for never let me and then go and then the author's name. Right. Um, what did you think of it? Um... Yeah, I was confused by it. I by the cover. Yeah, um, I will say I you you asked me last week how I pick my uh, books, mm-hmm. and one of the ways that I pick them is by the cover, which mm-hmm. is the exact wrong thing. Uh, no, it's fine. Make a good cover <laughs> if you want me to pick up your book. Exa- well, that's the thought process. <laughs> there is sort of like I know a hundred percent. I know the phrase. Don't choose the book. Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, but I also know the inner workings of publishing right. and that, um, and you know, there are plenty of amazing books that just get screwed over in terms of right. their cover, I'm right. sure. But for me, I, I am definitely drawn to things that, I don't know, certain colors or certain, there's right. lots of psychological studies right. on that as well. But this one, I don't know. I, be, exactly like you said, it, it put in my mind a certain, like I assumed that this was the, the narrator. I assumed mm-hmm. this was Kathy. I just didn't quite understand mm. why the, you know, I, yeah, it just didn't really make sense to me. I guess the idea being that like, it's a human face, but it's not quite 
Right. right. There's another version of this cover, which is the same picture without the white lines across. Okay. It. It's just writing, white writing on the same picture. Okay. There's a lot of versions of this cover, actually. Interesting. I actually really like the cover because mm. it's like kind of creepy and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I necessarily respond to the cover in relationship to the book, though, which I right. kind of hear you saying. Yes. Like, as an image, I really like the cover, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the cover speaks to the book to me. Yeah. Having read it and before I read it. Um, but I do love the title. Yeah. I love the title and the song, and the song. coming in and out. I listen to the song. Did you, you can find it on YouTube. I should have. Yeah. I almost listened Judy to Bridgewater. it. Judy Bridgewater. Yeah. What is it? What's the vibe? It's like, um, it's like a standard. Mm. It's like a very standardy, like, you know, it's, she's, she's, sounds like how she describes her with the long cigarette and it's like yeah never let me go <laughs> i'm a great singer thank you um but i like how it came it came back a lot yeah and i like how it wasn't i like that it was referenced to a specific thing as opposed to generally like because it also translates you know like to kathy saying to to tommy you know when they're talking about the he talks about the river and they're right. being pulled apart like that kind of thing never let me go right. but i like that it was also specifically this song mm-hmm. and that the song is real in the world in our world yeah 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 oh i love that yeah yeah i'm glad that it wasn't a fake no i looked it up it's real and the picture like when you google it or whatever I'll, um i'll put a link to it but when you google it the image of Judy Bridgewater is how she describes yeah. it. Like she has like a coquettish smile and she wow. has her cigarette. And so I liked that. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about the book? Um, no, I think that, I mean, I think that it really made me, it really just sort of like was a mind fuck in a number of ways. And it was really enjoyable. And, you know, in terms of like reading and, recently I'm always looking for something that's going to really excite me. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I watch a lot of television Mm -hmm. and just sort of as research and being aware of what's out there. So for a book, I need to feel that like I need to be engrossed by it. I need to feel like I need to turn the pages in order to, Mm -hmm. you know, and this one really sort of scratched that itch for me. So that was really, that was really nice. Oh, God, I'm so glad. It was a good pick. Yay. Um, I'm so glad you picked it. I've been asking someone to do this book with me like <laughs> since I started the podcast and people always pick something else. Yeah. And when you picked it, I literally was like, yes, 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 yes. I'm so excited. Um, well, thank you so much for being here, Clark. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Yay. And we will see everyone else. We'll see you in the stacks. that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to Clark Moore for being our guest. Find everything we discussed on today's show in the show notes. And for more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This podcast was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 